Welcome to another edition of the Heron Outlet. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Hest. And guys, it feels good coming off a win, doesn't it? Four unbeaten for Inter-Miami. Two wins, two draws. And after that six-game losing streak, a lot of happy Herons out there. Thank you for joining us this week. We're going to get into all of it and into another upcoming double game week with a run of form that is looking good and the opportunity to gain even more points. Could Inter-Miami actually, I can't even believe we're birthing this into the universe, but get back into the playoff hunt? We're going to talk about it, but guys, we have to go back to uh, the end of uh, last weekend's game. A massive goal in the 95th minute to give Inter-Miami the 2-1 win over Nashville. Let's just go with your thoughts. First off, overall, uh, to me, the team controlled possession. I I think that they were close to, if not at 60% possession, which was a little surprising. We had talked last week, Alex, that, you know, did Inter-Miami really need to control the game in that fashion, given how they've played against Nashville in the past? The back three continues to impress they continue to go down and find a way back. Alex, just your thoughts on the the, the game initially. Yeah, I think uh, Phil Neville managed it well. I, I, I think uh, Inter-Miami came out with a game plan and they stuck with it. Um, they went down uh, early in the second half, but I think that over the last couple of weeks after that loss to the Revs, I really do think that Inter-Miami has just found a way to, you know, as Neville would say, take punches and, and get right back up. As far as the Nashville game goes, um, Nashville's not a very good team on the road. I know that they've they've drawn a lot of games, but I believe you know if I can I can do the quick math. But every road game they've had, they've not really they've not really scored that often. So yeah, so it was a it was definitely a game that Miami needed to they needed to win. Uh, quite frankly, you know Nashville's a very good side. They're fifth in the East, maybe sixth. They're well on their way into the playoffs. These are the types of points that Inter-Miami should be picking up. And, you know, they did it in a way that was heart-pounding and exciting. And, you know, a lot of memes came out of that, specifically regarding Indiana Jones, Vasilev. Uh, but it, it was definitely a, it was a fun win. It was a win that they needed. And it was, uh, it was dare I say, a season-defining win that could definitely propel them into uh, the playoffs. Yeah, Austin, to that point, I mean, Alex mentioned that Nashville's not very good on the road. They they only have five points on the road this season, I think, um, for, from what I've seen. And uh, not, you know, in, Inter-Miami then actually has more away points than Nashville does because they have the two road wins. So is this a scenario of just Nashville not being good on the road? Or is this one of those, hey, wait, this team is better or playing better than we thought or is it both i think there's a a mixture of of things here uh yes nashville is not a good team on the road the stats show it and miami got the benefit of that uh but when you look at the game and the scenarios you know around it uh nashville's you know playing their third game in seven days um and i think that's why not fully why um obviously i think the formation and the tactics definitely helped from phil neville's standpoint uh but Miami controlled that game from minute one 
to to minute 90 or 95, I guess, when Van Vesselhoff scored the goal. I mean, they were fully in control um, and it showed on the possession numbers. It showed in the passing numbers and it was a game that we have not seen in terms of possession and passing numbers from Miami all season long. This is by far their best performance on the ball, uh, bar none. It does, no other performance this season comes comes close. Uh, so I think that there was a mixture of, you know, Nashville not being great on the road. Also, you know, tired legs, third game for them in seven games. And at the same time, Miami, yes, Miami's finding a groove. Four games unbeaten now, two wins at home after not winning at home uh, all the way prior to that. So the, I think everything fell into Miami's favor, and it's exactly why they got the win now. To get the win in that fashion, yes, extremely exciting. But at the same time, they left it really, really, really late. Um, you you kind of wish they would have capitalized some point sooner, given themselves a little comfort. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. You get three points. Your fans are happy. You're finding a run of form now in a spot where all three of us thought that we were not going to get honestly any wins from this point of the season this run of games that they're going through right now is a bunch of tough opponents that they've struggled with in the past you know teams that are fighting for not only just playoff spots but you know top seeded playoff spots so for them to find this run of form in these games against top opponents including the likes of Nashville is absolutely amazing and it gives you a ton of confidence going into the New York City FC game you mentioned Philadelphia, Orlando, Montreal, Nashville. Uh, other than Montreal, all four – well, Montreal was in a playoff position pr- just prior to that game. I, and so they're doing it against quality opponents, and, and that is huge if they're going to get back into this. But I guess the, the part that I'm sort of hung up on is – I'm trying to figure out if this if if it's the stylistic change that has you know had these run of forms if it's a little bit of luck that has had these forms I think that the 95th goal is the latest goal in Inter Miami history I, I guess I'm just trying to figure out are we I I'm trying to to stay grounded and and on planet Earth and not just get too excited and not be like, okay, this could be a playoff team. But I'm finding myself being like, okay, this could be a playoff team, and just wondering if it's simply stylistic, if it's formational, what is going on that is allowing this such dramatic change from six losses to eight points out of twelve. I think that is something that we touched on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's. Honestly, a lot to do with, yes, the tactics and Neville, but the new signings. Nick Marsman looking really comfortable in goal. He's that 11th on the field player that you can play a pass to. Uh, he He's very, very comfortable on his feet with the ball at his feet, I should say. Uh, makes some pretty good passes. And as for Kieran Gibbs as well, no, he has not gone 90 minutes yet, but in his three, four appearances so far, obviously he got the winner in the Orlando game. Uh, but he has been so solid as a left wing back with this three at the back formation. I mean, it's it's been phenomenal to see a research surgeons on that left side you know upgrading from christian mccoon and breck shea to either robbie robinson and kieran gibbs or robbie robinson or pizarro like we saw against a national game i mean it's quite the upgrade and it gives a sort of balance to this team and i think it's helping phil neville create some sort of identity and do what he wants to do uh with inner miami 
and the players he has in possession. And I think that that is where we're seeing the change. I think you've got a lot of people back healthy now. Robbie Robinson being one of those guys. Vasilev has always been a spark off the bench since he's, you know, come in with Gibbs and Marsman. I think they're fine, finally, finally, finally getting comfortable. And, you know, with a full arsenal of players, um, you know, that Phil Neville has to choose from, hopefully not too many more international breaks for someone like Pizarro to go. Cause I still think he can be important going forward. And maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but I think he does help the team in some, in some ways, uh, you know, and obviously with injuries too, you, you have to hope that they don't happen. We have Robbie coming off one uh, that was spoken about today. So, I mean, look, I, I think that it has everything to do with, yes, a little bit of luck, but at the same time, finding a comfortability level that they have not had yet. And these new signings bringing a resurgence into the lineup. Yeah, to your point, Austin, I I like to uh, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think Kieran Gibbs and Marsman has brought a different dynamic to the team. They've upda- uh, upgraded those two uh, spots that Inter Miami was uh, struggling to to consistently get performance out of you know Breck Shea and John McCarthy. Uh, they've you know I, I do think that the 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 formation has helped a bit. I think that. In previous games, before Neville switched to that 5-3-2, Miami really struggled to hold possession, you know, create chances consistently, you know, defend. It it, it was pretty ugly. And I, I do think that the switch to that back three, back uh, back five has helped all the players. You know, McCoon isn't starting as a center back pair. He's in a center back three, so his mistakes aren't as... Uh, harmful to the team should he lose a ball or miss a tackle he has two very good center backs uh, behind him with LGP and Figal to clean up uh, whatever he does vice versa uh, vice versa with LGP you know if he makes a mistake Figal's there and yada 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 Kieran Gibbs on that left hand side brings a lot of uh, width and technical ability and he loves to to bomb forward and and help out in the attack and Kelvin Leardom whether he's playing as a center back or or a right wing back, he likes to get up forward as well. And they're not necessarily focused on defending. You know, they can go up, push up, push high. And, um, you know, the research, the resurgence of uh, Blaze Matweedy, which I have to kind of eat my words here. Maybe he listens to the podcast. I don't know, but he's been playing very well. And this morning <laughs> uh, <laughs> during, during the press conference, another journalist asked about his form and why he's been doing better. He, and he flat out said, yeah, me getting benched was, you know, it was a motivator for me. You know, he, he openly admitted that he wasn't at his best and that he needed to train harder. And you see it on the pitch now. He's 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 been one of the better players over these last couple of games for Inter-Miami. And it, and it took that. Neville, you know, it took Neville benching him essentially to to get that out of him. And so this formation, it gives a lot of guys security, you know, it gives uh, the team defensive stability, but it also leaves, uh, you know, offensively, it gives a platform for people like Gonzalo, Robbie or, or Lewis Morgan to 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 get into the final third, create something, you know, get help from the wingbacks, whipping crosses, you know, try to make something happen. And you saw it in uh, a couple of the goals. Uh, Matuidi fed in Iguain and the game winner, uh, another Iguain fed uh, Indiana Vasilev for that winner, uh, you know, as they came in, uh, you know, just high pressing, constantly keeping up that pressure with Nashville's back line. So I do think it's it's a mixture of the new signings, but I, and I agree with Austin that Inter Miami starting to click at the perfect time. You know, I, I think that, 
all the individuals instead of blaming each other they're they're coming together as a team and just taking games by the scruff of the neck you know when they concede goals they don't they don't nod their head they don't slouch their shoulders anymore they just keep going and try to find an equalizer try to find a winner so i think it's a it's a, it's a number of things but I, I do think the formation has helped well, okay, so I don't want to leave this part of the conversation. I do want to get to Matuidi and Pizarro both talking at the press conference today in, in a sec, but I don't want to leave the formational talk here because I find, I mean, I said on Twitter earlier in the weekend that I thought that Kieran Gibbs has been a game changer for this team. He just allows a level of comfort. Nick Marsman does too, but Gibbs being an outfield player – really allows for a level of comfort and a consistency that you don't really have to question what he's going to do on the field. And I think it needs to be talked about more. I think that he's been phenomenal in his performances so far. Uh, so I guess my question is more, is he, when, when we're talking about introducing the new players, well, the new players then brought, especially with Gibbs, and now essentially to, who, who, let's not forget, got the equalizing goal against Orlando, but also now Indiana Vasilev, who came in and scored the game winner. So, so these are the guys that are bringing in the points. Are is it their performances that are changing? But is is it that their unique talents are leading to this formational change, and that the formational change is benefiting the team? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, is it is it a, cer- a certain situation where? well, it's just better players on the field now, or is it that, okay, we can game plan a little bit differently to allow for more of of uh, a successful situation to occur? I think, you know, this is kind of what I spoke to just a little bit ago. The Before Gibbs came in and Robbie Robinson was healthy, this, for example, and this is how I'm going to answer the question, I'm going to give you one example of what I saw uh, throughout the beginning of the season, uh, or at least at some point in the beginning of the season. There was a lot of the time where McCoon and Shea were starting on that left side, and you can see the imbalance in possession for for Inter-Miami. Now, I know Alex loves to look look at those heat maps and all of that kind of stuff, which is awesome. And I'm pretty sure if Alex goes back and looks at those things, you can see that Miami shifted towards the right side when in possession, when both Breck Shea and Christian McCoon were starting on that left side. They were incapable of linking up with each other. Breck Shea can't really take, you know, defenders on one on one and Christian McCoon would never overlap. Um, you know, you, you you have this, you know, balance and play now when, you, when you're attacking where Lewis Morgan and whoever else is playing at, on that right side, whether it was Figa or Leardam or whoever it was, is not carrying the load. And then also you have to think, too, whoever's playing that number 10 role or or whether it was Matuidi or Gregory or Victor Ulloa, you know, controlling the ball in the middle, their slack is taken off a little bit because they can shift over to the left side. I think that there is a ton to talk about when looking at the organization of this team in this new formation. And now that he has the players um, that he needs to fit this formation at his disposal, it works out better for him. And I would be lying if I said that Neville in his mind was ready to go with the five at the back on day one, but just didn't do it because of his players. No, I think that he's learned his players. He's gotten a new system. I don't think this is a system he wanted to use, but now he's having to use it because of the players he has. And I think he's finding a lot of their strengths fit exactly what this five at the back formation is doing. And it's bringing in a a balance and Miami is going to be able to control 
games a lot better than they were previous to when these new signings came in and previous to when Phil Neville was able to find out what he should be doing with his players on the field. I absolutely agree. You know, doing my homework even before Neville really was announced as Inter Miami manager, he was known to stick with a four-two-three-one, a four-three-three. So I agree with your point, Austin, about how you know he's learned his players throughout the season. It's the four, the back five. You know, didn't it's not a formation that you know most managers immediately jump to. It's something that you know you implement in order to you know. I want to. I don't want to say stop the bleeding, but it's a it's a pragmatic formation. I think. I don't think it's a as a soccer purist. That's not something that you jump to immediately. But the fact that Neville was able to to implement this quickly and and find out his player strengths and you know we see the results turning around already. And, and I think you know looking at you know like you said <laughs> the heat maps and the average player positions uh, on who scored. Everyone looks very balanced. Iguain is—he's not dropping as deep as he used to uh, compared to previous games. Uh, Morgan is pushing up high. Pizarro even was, you know, higher than he normally is. And you see Kelvin Leardom and Kieran Gibbs—they're—they're they're almost in line with um with how high uh, Lewis and Pizarro is, which it tells a lot about this formation. This isn't a this isn't a solely defensive uh, uh switch. It, it, it's it's just as offensive as it is defensive, you know, the, the width comes from the, the wingbacks and everyone in between them, you know, Blaise Matuidi, Gregory uh, Pizarro, they're the ones, and, and Lewis Morgan, they're the ones who are pulling the strings in order to, you know, make something happen in order to, you know, get Iguain into the box. And, and we saw it in the first goal, Matuidi uh, pounced on that loose ball quite well, slotted it into uh, Gonzalo and Iguain was able to finish that, uh, uh, that goal perfectly. So, I think this formation helps, you know, a lot of the guys that were struggling, like Matuidi, like a Pizarro. I, I do think if Pizarro ends up um, bouncing back from his slump, um, you know, it, it it would be because of this this formational switch. It gives him more freedom to, <clears throat> excuse me, roam around, and he's not necessarily stuck, uh, you know, tracking back defensively like he would in a normal a normal four two three one. And I and I find it interesting that. Um, uh, during the press conference uh, earlier today, um, Matuidi and Pizarro were the two. One of the, you know, there were two players out of the the three uh, people that spoke for Inter Miami, including Phil Neville, that that were that were, you know, on the mic. You know, we've haven't uh, uh, as a media, we've ha- we've not heard from them in a while. And you know, normally it's because results don't go that way, and you know, it, it, you don't put your star players uh, on. <laughs> You know, you don't put your star players on the mic like that, but, you know, it's telling that, you know, after a couple of weeks, we we as media members, we finally got to hear them. We got to hear their words, you know, to why they were struggling, why the team's getting better. And I, I do think it's, it's, have, it's had to do with Neville learning his players, you know, implementing a formation that works for, for everyone and just, you know, having a team that, you know, next man up, you know, who's going to, Start from Matui, for example, if he's out of form, Mijoa, and then, you know, let's say Gibbs out of form, who's going to start for him. And you know, not now Neville has tons of options in regards to that. You know, he, he said he has a couple of guys pushing for starting spots, including Indiana Vasilev, that aren't necessarily, not, aren't necessarily starters at this point. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time at Inter-Miami, and, and I think that 
all this change came at, at the right time. Alex, real fast, uh, but I heard Austin say that he called it a five at the back. So I'm interested in your thoughts on it, because to me, I look at it as a, like a 3-4-3 three, three or a 3-4-2-1, but it's listed often as a 5-4-1. Which way do you see it? I think um, it, it's it's lined up as a 5-3-2, but um, in attack, it's, it's definitely a 3-4-2-1, a uh, I think. One of the center forwards, usually Lewis Morgan in this case, he'll he'll drop a bit deeper to play as an attacking midfielder. And one of the uh, central midfielders in that uh, second row of the four, five three two, they'll, they'll push up to be an attacking midfielder. So in, in in offense, I wish I could show this visually. In offense, it'll be three center backs at the back, the wing backs on the wings, uh, hugging the touchline. You'll have Matuidi Gregory or Yujoa Gregory. As a double pivot in central midfield, and ahead of them you'll have two attacking midfielders, which is one of the midfielders pushing up from the the central three in the five three two, and one of the uh, center forwards in in that front two of the five three two, pushing a bit deeper to make a uh, you know a sort of a you know a, you know two attacking midfielders behind a, a center focal point, which is. Uh, Gonzalo Iguain, and if you look at this on paper, it it you know there's a bunch of triangles all over the pitch where uh, Inter Miami can basically recycle possession. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean <laughs> to make you go down this rabbit. <laughs> it's all right. We like these. We have these uh, philosophical conversations sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the well, the one guy that I do want to talk to that we that we haven't talked about yet really is is Gonzalo Iguain, who. Three goals in three games, scored both goals. Uh, uh, three games ago, scored the first goal against Nashville. Now up to seventh in the Golden Boot Chase. Only three goals uh, behind the the leaders there, um, and, and still with a with a chance to make his mark. Really, I mean, it, we we talk about it all the time when he scores and when well when Inter Miami scores, but specifically when he scores. They win. They it's not draws. It's not like they're reaching for points. When he scores, they win. And you know they they have the whole uh, Papa John's promotion. That the the sorry for the the cheap pop there. But I mean, when he scores, they win. And he's scoring now. And I don't know how much Austin you want to talk about this. How much of that correlation of just. Get him the ball. I mean, that that goal with him and Matuidi, that's what you're paying for. That's what you're paying $8 million combined for, right, is is, is that exact. He runs up. Matuidi runs in, finds the open ball, immediately one touch, passes a through ball, and Iguain finishes. That's exactly what you're paying for. That's exactly why all of this was done. Yeah, I, I that Matuidi link up goal is is first of all not only just a Higuain goal it, it's a real striker's goal I mean he finds the open space in between the center backs the the midfielder uh plays a perfect ball and he absolutely rips through it with his foot and, and it hits the back of the net surging um a really good striker's goal and I think that a lot of the time when he was you know getting some negative uh reviews I guess from the fans I'll keep it uh pretty PG there um you know it was because, you know, not only was he having a couple of tough performances, but at the same time, he wasn't getting the ball in positions where he could thrive. And a lot of the time, I think, Alex, you, you perfectly mentioned this. 
Gonzalo Higuain's not having to drop back as much as he was supposed to, or as much as he was having to beforehand to try and create. And yes, you know, Gonzalo Higuain can still be a creator and he still can play a couple passes. And I guarantee you he'll end the season with probably more than five assists. Um, but at the same time, he's able to be a striker now with this 5-3-2, if you want to call it. You have, you know, I guess I, I think I saw a little bit different than you, Alex. I, I thought Pizarro was instructed to be on the left wing a little bit more. Like, yes, naturally, he did drift uh, in, 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 in under behind. Iguain. I think he's just a false 10, though. Yeah, I think it that seemed- that's what he was doing. He could just go wherever he wants. Yeah, it seemed like he could do whatever he wants, but at it kind of I don't know he was very much on that left side and I think another thing too him and Lewis Morgan did uh, switch wings a lot as well which is another thing I noticed but them two do naturally drift in behind Higuain and let him give up front and you know that's kind of how he gets a service and I think that that is benefiting the team um, a lot and benefiting Higuain a lot and Ian you're exactly right in saying that when Gonzalo Higuain scores this team performs well they perform better and they they get points. They win. And you, know, you can even every see single, it. I think every single game that he's gotten a goal this year, they've gotten points. I, uh, I'm trying to think of a game that he's There's two that he didn't, did. I believe. The LA Galaxy game, he got the goal and the assist with Robbie. Correct. correct. And then the uh, the 2-1 Orlando loss uh, right. at home, I believe, was he scored the first goal when he got subbed on. So he didn't even like, he didn't make a lasting impact on that game because he only played for 30 minutes, but right when he came on, he scored a goal and gave them hope. And then after that, it was, it was gone, but that wasn't any of his doing. This guy benefits the team a lot more than people realize. And I think that they're starting to realize it now he's playing like a designated player. And I think that Neville has said that multiple times, you know, not only Matuidi, but, but, Higuain and Pizarro too, especially in that Orlando game when he got subbed on, is playing like a designated player. And if they can continue to get these performances out of these three guys, now Matuidi is the one that I'm, you know, hoping that he can last throughout the rest of the season. I know that we've seen his energy dwindle a little bit during the duration of games, but if those three guys can keep performing and linking up like you know they did in these last couple of matches and get Higuain on the score sheet, this team is going to benefit so much from it. And I think that's when you're going to start really talking about a playoff push for Inter-Miami. But that's only if that happens. Only if. Well, and Austin, to that point, the thing that I would say also is that, you know, the the Orlando and the Galaxy games, both of which are those games that they didn't get points out of where he scored. I mean, they should have won both of those games. They were ahead in the the final 30 minutes against Orlando. They were ahead at the very end against LA Galaxy. So it it really is when he scores, they should win. Yeah, he, he, he provides, and you can even see it, like on his face, the way he celebrates, the intensity at which he celebrates and how he gets the fans going, how much the players admire him and hug him during the celebrations. I mean, it's it's a real lasting impact on all 11 players who are on the field and even the players that are on the bench ready to come on. They want to win for him because they know that he provides so much for this team. And it is it is really good to see, but at the same time, I have to look at the flip side of the of it and, and play devil's advocate. Your striker, yes, is meant to score goals. And when he does score goals, it's obviously going to help. But when you don't get good performances from him, you need to find other ways to get results. And I think that the one time that they did do that this season was in between the Montreal and the Nashville game that we just had uh, was the Orlando game where they got the 1-1 draw. 
Gonzalo Higuain had an awful 60 minutes or 50 minutes, whatever he played. His first touches were terrible. He was not making good passes. He couldn't connect with anybody, got no balls in threatening areas, got subbed off, and Inter-Miami found a way to get a result. And that's where it's really going to come down to. Not only if, you know, I'm not going to rely on these three guys, Pizarro, Matuidi, and Higuain, for the next however many games they have because they're going to have bad games. It's who can step up in certain scenarios. Can this team, you know, put out their depth and still get results in grinding out anything they possibly can, especially on the road in Orlando? That that was something that was really surprising to me. To get that draw was huge, and that was when Higuain had a bad game. So, that is a, a promising site, and it's something that you want to see going forward, and it's going to help the playoff push if they are to get to that point. I'll point to a, a, a good shout on that. Is and That's a great point, Austin, is uh, the Atlanta game at home. When they were just struggling on by a thread, Iguain was not having a good game. They couldn't figure it out. Lewis gets that late goal, and they just managed to scratch at a point. So so that, that is a really good point, that, that you need to find that from other places, which which also leads me to something that's been bothering me a lot lately. This team is really bad at set pieces. And last year with Higuain, it was a lot better. This year, he's sort of most of the time getting off the ball. When Federico and Morgan are both in, they do this weird left foot, right foot thing that a lot of teams do. But it, it, it's sort of like the in baseball, the fake to, to third throw to first play. It never works. And it, it's sort of really silly why teams still try to do it. Lewis's crosses and his in-game play have been very good. He's actually fifth in the entire MLS, in the entire league. He is fifth in the league in key passes. It's a stat that's defined as a what would be an assist if that pass led to a goal, but it sometimes does, sometimes doesn't, right? So not just assists, but making the key pass that should have led to a goal. So his crosses and his in-game play is doing really well. But these corners and these set pieces are driving me up a wall. They look silly. They look boring. They look ex- like completely expected. There is no creativity in any of them uh, other than the Gibbs goal, which, if I remember right, was from a set piece. But everything else, game after game, it looks like the same thing and it looks like the same play. Am I wrong? Am I missing something here? Really quickly, I'll let Alex jump on this, but I think that the Gibbs goal was a Victor Uyoa cross, not a set piece, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. But yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'll let Alex touch on this. She hasn't talked in a while. I need her to get her say because... We know the tactical genius that Alex is. Uh, yeah, as, as, as far as uh, tactical genius, I, I wouldn't say I'm Guardiola or anything, but... Um, yeah, you're better than Pep. You're better than Pep. Yeah. <laughs> well, Alex, but Alex, okay, uh, so I'll set you up on it. Like, w- they do the two-arm raise and, and down, and, it, and it's that cross run. It's, it's, the, it's three guys run cross, one guy comes around a back post. It's the same play every single time, and it never works. It always results in a clearance. Yeah, I think that's one of the bigger issues Inter Miami has had this season is their set pieces. Um, Neville's been asked about this in, in, in press conferences, and he's always saying, we're working hard on them, we're, we're telling our center backs to just attack the ball. But I think it's pretty evident that um, Inter Miami don't really they don't really have someone that that's consistently threatening on on those corners and set pieces. I know 
you know, when Ame Mabika comes into the first team, um, surely that will help them in their problems. The guy is six foot six. He's, a, you know, he's giant. Just aim for him. He'll score. But as of right now, it, it's only really Leandro Gonzalez Perez that's throwing his body, trying to get on the end of these crosses. You know, even when Shaw crosses has been in, he's not really been able to connect much. So I think it's a combination of uh, Miami not having people running into the box, you know, disrupting the goalkeeper, disrupting the opposition's back line in order to just cause confusion and get a man open. So there's a free header and similar to, to Nashville's goal, you know, it was uh, CJ Sapong just out muscled uh, inner, whoever was defending him. I think it was Figal and Matuidi, but, you know, and I do think the delivery needs to be a bit better. There are, there have been several instances where I've seen Lewis Morgan just not hit. They're He's always hit the, short. Yeah, they're, always they're short. short. They're they're overhit. He's hurt. He's hit the first uh, opposition defender. You know he's not. You know quite frankly, it's not good enough. Um, when Federico takes them, they're slightly better. But right now, as far as the delivery and the finishing goes, it's not there. I don't know. I don't know how they can fix this. I think they can just. Uh, you know, this isn't FIFA. But if you guys play FIFA, you know there's a. You know there's options when you take a set uh, a free kick. You know to you either crowd the keeper or run. Uh, uh, far post or back post, they they probably need to start doing something similar to that just to 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 scrap a goal, you know, because this is you know this is pretty abysmal. I think you know, like you guys said earlier, the only set piece goal that they scored was the one in Philly. I, I think I'm I'm maybe forgetting another one, but it's it's looked pretty bleak for them. You know, something needs to change, and I do think that switching up the delivery, maybe switching up how they run into the boxes, is the way to go about it. I was trying to find it. I was looking it up. They have to be close to lowest in the league in in set piece goals, right? I I, I couldn't find it in time. I would, yeah, it, I was going to say the penalties might help them a little bit, but that because I think that those count as set piece goals. But in terms of that, I think I can only remember one set piece goal that they have on the season besides the penalty, and that was the like you said the the Philly game where Federico played it to Gonzalo. But other than that, there's been nothing at all. So they have to be towards the bottom. Yeah, that's it's pretty it it you know, if Inter Miami won, you know, like, you know, if Inter Miami's not, you know, if they're in a difficult game and they're not really creating much and they're being stymied by the opposition, you know, getting a set piece can can help you win or, or win, you know, win games basically, you know, if you're not clicking uh, in attack, you know, getting a goal off a, a free kick or or a corner can do you wonders and Inter Miami has not add that, added that to their to the repertoire quite yet. So it's definitely something that, you know, they need to you know schedule a full day of practice just dedicating themselves to set pieces because it's it's becoming a, a very big issue for the club. So, guys, I want to look towards a double game week. Inter-Miami has uh, yet another one, and, and that's going to present quite the challenge this Saturday going up. Uh, to the Big Apple, to New York City, and uh, into Yankee Stadium to place to f- play NYCFC, and then midweek uh, before we will have our next episode, they will have a uh, home match against the Chicago Fire for NYC. They currently sit in the playoff positions right now at third in the Eastern Conference on twenty eight points with seventeen matchups and the highest goal differential in all of the Eastern Conference, uh, all of MLS, actually. 
So uh, definitely a, a, a tough cookie to crack there going on the road. Again, Chicago, maybe a little bit easier that, that they'll have to, to. Let's start with NYCFC and then we'll get to Chicago. Uh, Jesus Medina is, is always one of their premier players. Uh, Ishmael is a tremendous player. Sean Johnson. Uh, I mean, they, they're stacked. This is one of the best teams in all of MLS. So where do you start with this? How do you approach this matchup? I could I could keep on naming names. I mean Castellanos, Maxi Morales, yeah. James Sands. You, <laughs> right. you can you can go on for Tanner Holm. Yeah, no, I mean there's there's a ton, a ton, a ton of players that New York City have. And I mean it's why they've been so good this season. It's not only that they have really good starters, I mean they can rotate really well too and still put a lot of quality product uh on the field. Uh so anyway, I I, I think that going into this match, uh well one, Miami has to look at what not fully what they did in midweek, but they just had to play um, in that really stupid leagues cup. I, I'm sorry. I, I think it's an awful competition. I'm not even sure what it was made for, but they just had to play Pumas. I believe they lost on penalties. Um, and I don't think that they played all of their starters. They played a couple. Uh, so that's, I mean, towards the benefit of Miami that, New York City FC is going to be playing a short game week, uh, but at the same time, it's controlling. <laughs> it's controlling, you know, those those star players that we all mentioned. It's it's having to have a good team performance and not let New York City completely just control, you know, everything that they can uh, when they can. It's letting Miami get a grip on this game that's going to help them. And one thing I, I want to see as well is, you know, not only are the set pieces not working. Um, and I, I know that we had the the Victor Uyoa and Federico uh, crosses that, that ended up working, but I want to see some crosses that that come from, you know, Lewis Morgan or Pizarro or somebody else on the wings to get a ball to not Indiana Vasilev and not Karen Gibbs, but get a ball from across to Gonzalo Higuain. I think that that's going to be something I'm going to be looking for um, because I, I have not seen any opportunity for that to happen. I, I don't think that Gonzalo Higuain gets himself, you know, in the box enough. I, that's my big criticism, criticism as much as, you know, praise I just gave him in, in the earlier segment. I think I want to see uh, that offensive, you know, instruction for those guys to, to be in play here. I think it's going to add another dimension uh, to their attack and it could help beat really good teams if they're more versatile uh, when on the ball. So those are kind of my keys, you know, don't let New York city run all over you. Try and get control uh, when you can, whether it's in a 10-minute, five-minute spurt. Take your chance as well and just get Gonzalo Higuain the ball in good areas and and let him do his thing. See, I got to disagree with you there, Austin, because where New York City have sort of struggled, especially at home – is when they do allow because you know their their field is oddly shaped it's extremely small because they're playing in Yankee Stadium and they have you know the the layover grass the, the times that I've seen them struggle has been when teams go hey you guys just have fun go kick the ball around and when they're up in these games like 60 65 close to 70% of those games in terms of possession they're a lot less successful of a team this year, I know they're unbeaten in five. They've scored a ton of goals. They had that five goal game. Uh, who was it against Orlando? And then Orlando, you know, was like freaking out. They had that four goal game against Columbus and then Columbus was freaking out. They So, but all of those games 
were were sort of matches where the other team was like, hey, we can play with you. I, I think Inter-Miami might be better served to just say, you know what, you have the ball and we're just going to counter the heck out of you. Very, very cool. Just, I, I, I think that's not a bad idea, but seeing what they just did to Nashville when they did control the game, do we not agree? I Not, not that you can pull that off against New York City, but for me that that was – Inter Miami's best performance on the oh, year. I'll, I'll be surprised. Like, I'll be surprised if they play the way that they. No, I, was I mean, I was surprised that they played that way against Nashville. Full, fully agreed. Fully agreed. But I think that you need to try and extract that kind of performance out of them on a week to week basis, or else you know you're going to find yourself, or we're going to find ourselves, you know, talking on this Heron Outlet podcast talking about inconsistencies. And I think that they've, you know found a decent run of form no they've not controlled every single game to that point but they've been leading up to where that they have their own style and their own identity where they can control the game also another thing too i think that this game for some reason is being played in red bull arena uh i don't know if it's going to be in yankee stadium there might have been a scheduling conflict there but i think i saw i, I can't confirm right now though i will but i think it's going to be played in red bull arena but don't quote me on that yeah i think it, um it is your- by the way i did confirm it it is at red bull arena my bad Oh, then that's even better for Inter Miami. You know, most of uh, New York's uh, wins, I believe, uh, they've come at you know Yankee Stadium. You know, the four-one win against Columbus. You know, the five, the five-goal win against yeah, the five-goal win against Orlando. They came at that really small, really cramped uh, Yankee Stadium, and now uh, Inter Miami, they're they're about to play them at Red Bull Arena, which is a you know bigger stadium. Uh, you know, bigger field, and that could play to Miami's advantage. You know, I will say that New York City has had, you know, have a couple of weeks weak spots. You know, uh, I believe, you know, a week and a half ago, they played Toronto. They were up two goals, and then Toronto, who are bottom of the league, by the way, bottom of the Eastern Conference, um, you know, they, they managed to get two goals back and draw the game 2-2. And they were playing at Toronto, which is a bigger field, bigger stadium. So what I'm getting at here is that, you know, if Inter Miami are wanting to beat New York City, you know, this is the perfect opportunity to do it at a uh, not at Yankee Stadium, you know, going into the game in a good run of form in this new formation that they've been playing. You know, it's 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 a it's a good way to and New York City is coming off a short a short rest, uh, a couple of days of rest because they had the League's Cup game last night against Pumas that ran super late because there was a weather delay for three hours. It's it's a good possibility that Miami could, you know, they could possibly win this game. There's a lot of things going for Miami. And, you know, if there's any time to pick up points against uh, New York City FC, you know, it, uh, this weekend's game is definitely the time to do it. Man, uh, you're more optimistic than I am, Alex. I, I, I'm scared for this one. This could be New England 2.0. Uh, I'm just looking at it and, and just on paper, uh, the way that these two teams, I mean, Inter Miami has been playing better. I guess my question to you tactically would be that when New York City runs that three at the back, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Inter Miami hasn't seen a team do that to them yet. So can Inter Miami sort of play tit for tat with that? And also still do that three at the back, or do they have to go back to the four two three one, or do they just sort of have to say, okay, let's look at what New York City's going to do, and then we're going to have to go off of that, and then we'll just do whatever they don't do. 
Neville actually alluded to that earlier uh, during his press conference that, you know, it depends on how people, you know, how the players train, you know, he'll pick his starting lineup um, right before the game, you know, whether they or not they match up with New York City FC or stick with the same formation that's been working so well. I don't I, I do. I don't think Neville will take any chances. I do think he'll stick with the the back three because it's, you know, been giving Miami the, the you know good results. I think that if Miami were to match up against New York City FC, they will get torn apart. You know, New York City, they're really good at, you know, the one touch, two touch football in, in the final third. You know, just getting Castellanos open, you know, Medina, all those, you know, really good players. They're very good at one touch passes, switching the point of play and counterattacking very quickly. So if Inter Miami tried to match up with them, uh, it, it's going to, it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be pretty. It's going to be, you know, resemble, it's going to resemble, you know, that DC United game at home where they went down, you know, two goals in the first half. It, it, it was ugly. I, I don't think that Neville will, will do that again. And I think that the, he'll go with a, a back five just to, to shore up that defense because, you know, New York City FC, they can really cut you open with that almost Tiki Taka esque type of football, but not quite. But they're very good at, at, finding each other in that final third. All right, guys, we'll get back to uh, to predictions a, a little later, but let's move on to Chicago, uh, which looks like a little bit of an easier game. Uh, Chicago basically right where Inter-Miami is, just one spot before them in the table, but Inter-Miami with those two games in hand could find themselves ahead of Chicago by the time this game even happens next week. Uh, some questions with Chicago, a, a team sort of in flux. Alvaro Madron, is he actually healthy? Uh, you know, Robert Barrich, is he going to play or not as well? Uh, a new new signing with Federico Navarro. Uh, so a team definitely in flux. Uh, and, and a team that Miami might be able to attack more. Inter-Miami's been a lot more comfortable at home, as we saw the past couple of games too, which might lean them towards uh, maybe even being the favorite in this game. Probably the first time they'll be favored uh, in, in some time, especially since that six-game losing streak and, and everything that we dealt with with that. So w- what do we see right off the bat with Chicago? Is this one of those games where you go and say, Three points, this is the kind of game you need three points if you're going to try and be a playoff team or try to go into the playoff hunt for the second half of the year. I'll say this. Do not do what you did on May 22nd when you went to Soldier Field and put on arguably one of the worst performances I've seen Inter-Miami ever play, uh, dating back to the inaugural season. I mean, that 1-0 lost, I believe that was the John McCarthy howler could have been a lot more than one nil should have been a lot more than one nil. And I think that we can all agree that at this point in time, inner Miami are a fully different team than they were when they played Chicago on that day. And I think, you know, too, they have a couple of really decent players. Calvo coming back off of the, the gold cup is another one uh, at center back who shut down Miami pretty well. So there's, for me, it, it's just, do not do anything that you did in that first matchup against Chicago. And if you can build off of any result that you get against New York City FC, I think that that's that's going to be huge. And it's also at home in front of your fans. And that has actually been now a supportive 
you know, so, uh, a motivator for Inter Miami. Finally, for the first time, they've won twice in a row at home. And I think also too, Andres, I know you'll appreciate this on the other end. Our, our amazing producer, Andres, um, Miami have switched how they start games. And I don't know if that's fully up to their decision, uh, but they have fully switched where they start scoring. And then in the second half where they scoring on the other end, if that makes sense. So they'll start now shooting from, I shooting from the non supporters end into the supporters goal in the first half. And then going into the second half. Now they shoot on the other end and, Every other game prior to that, if my memory serves me well, having been to all the games, Miami did the opposite and saved the supporters' half to score on for the second half. And now that it's switched twice, they've won both of their games. Do it's I Why don't do you- know. Maybe it's a superstition thing. I don't know. I, I like to think it is because I like to be a hopeful thinker. It's probably not. Maybe it's just a coincidence. But it's something that I noticed and I'm very intrigued by. I'm I'm trying to think. Are they still doing? I'm trying to think of of the last game. Did I don't know if they did the Gloria Stefan thing at the start of the game as well. Now now that I'm thinking about it, I think that they gave up on the 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 rhythm is going to get you at the start of the game. Oh, I'm not sure. And also they they added that uh the uh, the big the like logo. Thing. Well, the, well, the, the halftime thing was there, I think, but the big logo in the beginning of games that go behind where the players stand when they do the national anthem, where they have the fans hold it at the center circle, that's something uh, that they added to, and they, they've won both of their well, games I while doing I, that. I, I, now that you noticed, now that you pointed it out, I noticed, but I didn't, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. Uh, speaking of superstitions, I want to add this really weird one that I have. You know, right after the revolution loss, I, I woke up the either one of the mornings where there was a press conference and I, you know, I got my morning smoothie, but I miscalculated the time. So I wasn't able to, to really touch it. So I put it in my freezer. And ever since then, I've just not gotten around to it. And since then, Intermind Me has gone on this unbeaten streak. And I don't know if it's because I've kept that recyclable Inner Miami cup that I made my smoothie in, in the freezer, or it, it it's just, you know, I don't know, but I've I've not taken that cup out of my freezer, and since then Miami has has not lost a game. So I, I think do not <laughs> it, take it out, Alex. Absolutely, do not take it out. I'm so afraid of you know one of my parents accidentally moving it, you know, to another our outside garage fridge. But you know, I, I've told them to 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 not touch it because I'm very superstitious and. I will not touch it. You know, you know, if Inter Miami lose, it's probably because it's gotten moved out of my freezer. But yeah, that's that's another uh, superstition that I will add in there. <laughs> so so in that Chicago game, Austin, that you were talking about, McCarthy started, uh, Blas Matuidi started, Shawcross started, Breck Shea started, Frederico started, Jovin Jones started. It was a 1.8 XG for Chicago Fire. A point four zero point four for Inter Miami. They had fifty seven possession percent possession. They had six on target of twenty. Inter Miami only had one shot on target out of only four. That obviously was easily saved. That game was horrific, but a lot of different names will be on the team sheet come Wednesday. A lot of different names on the team sheet, sure, but also. I mean, Jovan Jones obviously isn't going to be there. He's still getting healthy. I know that I'm pretty sure I saw him still in a knee brace uh, at the last match, but you're also not playing Victor Uyoa 
in a four at the back formation as a right back. Now, I didn't dislike what I saw when he played as a right wing back uh, in the Orlando game, but he's definitely not playing as a as a right back in a four at the back formation. You're not going to see Breck Shea start the game uh, if Pizarro can go. Uh, Federico... This actually might be his time to start. I don't know. It seems like they saved him. I thought they were saving him for the Nashville game, but I guess they just went with Pizarro. It might be something you see again. Uh, Shawcross probably won't be there. You've got this new tandem with the three at the back with uh, Figal and LGP and McCoon now. So, And then obviously John McCarthy. That's, that's obviously... That's got to be the biggest difference uh, in terms of everything other than maybe Breck Shea, but Nick Marsman is such an upgrade on John McCarthy um, in every single goalkeeping aspect that you can possibly think of. Um, it's really helped this team. So, like I said, this is not the same team. They have a fully different identity than when they played Chicago the first time, and we should not see you know Chicago – Maybe they'll control the ball for 50, 57% of the time, but they should not be getting 20 shots, 13 chances created, six or seven shots on target, while Miami is only having four with one on target. So that that is not something that you should see. There will definitely be a shift in that because of you know the tactical switch and the personnel switches. Yeah, I definitely agree. The new uh, signings will do uh, inter me a world of good. You know, Gibbs on that left-hand side, Marshman and goal. You know, Ujoa will not be playing as a right back. It'll be a significant improvement. I, I can tell you that for sure. Um, you know, Neville has really done wonders with uh, with this team. You know, he's he's gotten them on all on the same page. They're playing as a unit. So, I, you know, that game was that, that loss against Chicago was pretty demoralizing. I remember the feeling after that. It, it felt very low arguably maybe even lower than the revs game but because it was the beginning of that that poor run of form for miami so i think that this matchup it'll be uh it'll be a a hard fought one when you know the team's not going to roll over like they did the last time and i do think that uh uh, miami will be more in uh, control of this match uh for sure for sure all right guys we'll get your predictions and thoughts uh, to close us out in just a sec, but I, I did want to give a, a quick shout out. Miami FC in the USL Championship all the way has, has had a great run of form lately too. So for you know all, all of what we like to talk about with Fort Lauderdale and uh, and obviously focusing uh, a ton on Inter Miami here on the Heron Outlet, uh, Miami FC you know quietly up to third in their division and and really in a comfortable playoff position. They're six two and one in their past nine games. Uh, and, and scoring a ton of goals. I think they have the second highest goal scoring total in uh, in all of USL championships. So uh, a very good run of form for them. And then wanted to get into uh, college soccer real fast with the season getting underway. Uh, the University of Miami uh, having a the, their girls team having a two two draw. Obviously, very exciting uh, stuff with uh, FIU soccer coming up this year. And Florida State women's soccer coming off their national runner-up. They lost in the national title game in in the penalties last year. Uh, The preseason ranked number one team in women's college soccer. Uh, So so a good year for them is expected. Another good year for them. And uh, uh, UCF coming in at 13th in the men's side. So our, our Florida soccer teams are really looking good. And Alex, I just got to ask you from from all of that. I know I just threw a lot your way, but this FIU team, it's possible that we could see some homegrown players come out of this, right? 
because this I mean this team is loaded this FIU team yeah that's what I'm I'm really excited about you know you saw Santiago Patino with uh Orlando City I, I think was it in 2019 he got drafted he's yeah. out of FIU uh, you know, there's a lot of prospects on this team. I'm I'm excited. Some of them, I know. Are, some of them are, are are the the like uh, former travel players around the area that I've seen yeah. too. Yeah, and, and that's super exciting. You know, college soccer isn't necessarily uh, something that you know people like to talk about. You know, you know the, the MLS Super Draft. It's not necessarily a big thing for the league, but yeah, FIU men's soccer. I'm really excited about them. They've got a bunch of. Uh, excuse me, new transfers in. You know, they've got a lot of international students coming in to help booster that that side. And yeah, I'm excited to see them. Hopefully I can maybe go out and catch uh, them a couple of games. Um, they play U- UCF uh, August 26th. So uh, definitely look out for that. Um, it'll be a, a, a good season for them. And like you said, Ian, this could, you know, a couple of the guys here could end up on it within an in a inner Miami shirt uh, sooner than we think. So uh, yeah, college soccer is definitely something that you should keep your eye on. And if you've got free time, definitely check out FIU men's soccer. And if you don't have the free time, we here at the Heron Outlet keep an eye out for you. And we will tell you uh, throughout the season as uh, as the season progresses, who's who's up, who's down and uh, and who's doing well. And hopefully our, our local soccer teams will uh will make us proud this upcoming season it should really be a good one i'm very excited now that you know last year was so crazy i'm up here in boca with lynn soccer and they they had such a crazy season they're a very good team in division three uh and so there's a lot going on uh here in south florida in the soccer uh season uh that is about to come our way okay guys let's close out with predictions we'll start with new york city and then go with chicago austin we'll start with you and then alex we'll start with you on chicago so austin hit us with new york city first then alex then i'll go and then we'll go we'll start with alex and then go through chicago okay okay yeah sounds good so with new york city i i think that you're going to see the same result as you did uh in the last time that both of these teams played not the mls's back tournament where it was one nil and a very deflating loss because it knocked them out of that tournament uh but the 3-2 game that you saw new york city win uh last october i think that you're going to see a game like that high scoring uh new york city's definitely getting on the score sheet but i think that miami still has uh, some weapons to score and keep this one close i'll say 3-2 to new york city yeah, I think um, I think it'll be a difficult game. I think that New York City will definitely get a couple of goals. I think it'll end in a two-two draw. I think you guys are being kind. I, I don't. I don't see a, a single. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. I, 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 I want to. <laughs> I want to believe that that this is going to go well. I don't see how this possibly goes well. Uh, This team is rolling, and I know Inter-Miami has gotten very lucky to get a lot of points, but New York City is smashing people. They're not just winning, they're smashing people. I don't think that there's any way that this ends well. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going, I'll be nice. I'll go 3-1, maybe they get a goal. Uh, That's me just trying to be nice, though. I I really, I'm sorry, I hate feeling that way, but I just, this... This is this is an MLS Cup final level team and on the road like I just with with short rest and and in mid-season midweek game coming up 
and a tired team that just went off playing three games in nine days. And I, I just don't see this game going well. I, I really don't. I'll say 3-1. Let's go to Chicago. Uh, Alex, what do you think for Chicago? Which I think will go a lot better. Yeah, I think that's a 2-0 win for Miami. They're at home. They, they, they're they starting to, to, to get their home form back. Chicago, uh, well, they're a good side. I think Inter-Miami at home, uh, you know, I think it's it'll be a win for Miami 2-0, 2-0. I agree that this will be the Chicago game will be Nick Marsman's first clean sheet with Inter Miami, which he absolutely deserves. I can't give that man enough praise. He's a, he seems like a solid dude and he's also a really good goalkeeper. So that's awesome. Uh, but I think that this will be like Alex said, uh, um, a game in which Miami does not concede a goal. It will be Nick Marsman's first clean sheet. Uh, but I only see Miami scoring one in this game. I think Chicago will keep it close. It'll be an early goal for Miami and the rest of the game will be a deadlock one nil. Well, I'm hoping that they give me a good birthday present because the Chicago game is on my birthday. And so I'm going to say a win and I'm going to say, uh, let's just have fun with it. 10, nothing. Make me, <laughs> let me have a lot of fun. And... <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's a good Ten birthday. Nothing. That would be an inner Miami record. Largest <laughs> one in that, uh, that'll stand for a really long time. <laughs> uh, so wait, Ethan, Ian, or Ian, sorry, do we tell you happy birthday now or on the next show? Uh, w- you just did. Okay, well, the, the happy, <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. Earlier, I'm getting the age. Uh, Ian, you're like 25, like all of us. You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, well, this uh, hopefully, hopefully it's a good birthday, hopefully with an Inter-Miami win. And we will see you with me being one year older this time next week. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. I am Ian Hest. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Heron Outlet, and we'll see you again next week.